1: Get Coors Light in the new look, delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing
0: Company, Golden, Colorado.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online: the fastest and easiest and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, in Major League Opening Day right around the corner, Bet Online has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part, you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your literal free money. Plus, signing up is a great way to support the podcast you're listening to in your ears right now. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag Bet online, your online sports book experts. We're looking at best ball ADP on Roto Viz Radio. What's up, Roto Viz? Welcome back to RotoViz Radio, brought to you by Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at RotoViz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Mr. Matthew Friedman, and Matt. As you can likely tell, uh, my voice is at anything but full strength tonight. Yeah, you've had better nights. It's uh, this is not good, but uh, you power through like a champion. Exactly. I mean, sometimes. That's all that you can ask of somebody, which is why I think that the people will get mainly what they're here for tonight, which will be more of the analysis from the mind of Mr. Matthew Friedman.
1: (laughs) They're they're really in trouble. Yeah. So
2: (laughs) anyways, in the the interest of just powering through this, um, before we start looking at the best ball ADP picking up at round seven, I want to get your take now that you've had more time as our listeners have as well, to evaluate this rookie class. How valuable are the first three picks in 2020 rookie drafts this year?
1: Okay, so I think there are a couple of ways that this can go. I think one is that they're uh, they're very valuable in part because of the players who are going to be there, um, but then also because of the hype surrounding this class, which I think will uh, artificially inflate the market a little bit. But I think... On the other hand, in sharper leagues, um, the picks that will kind of be worth more on a relative basis are like picks four and five, because I think like the drop that you normally have in a, a given year from like pick three to pick four, that like that drop is like not as severe or like in this case, it might be non-existent, to be honest, like there might not be like in whatever order you want to put it. Like let's say that you have DeAndre Swift number one, maybe Jerry Judy number two, Jonathan Taylor number three. Like, I don't think there's really much of a drop between those guys and let's say CeeDee Lamb at number four and J.K. Dobbins at number five. Like, they're they're all fairly interchangeable at this point. Uh the combine might give us more clarity, but I honestly think by the time draft season rolls around, those five Are maybe still going to be all in a group together.
2: Yeah, that seems really reasonable to me. I mean, especially as we sit here, like you said before, the combine, they are all players with just tremendous profiles at this point. And like you said, I think the hype is playing into everybody in this class. Um, So let's frame that a little bit differently right now, though. Let's say that you're an owner of even one of those first five picks. What's it going to take to pry? one of those picks away from you
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um I mean, I would be willing to move down in in like further in round 1 cuz it is a deep class, but I would want something back, you know, like I'd say like a uh, 2021 first rounder probably. And I guess it just depends on how far I have to move down cuz I think after pick number 5 that is right now where the, the, the tier is. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't want to trade out of the first round entirely. Cause I do like this class quite a bit. So mm-hmm. I want to make sure I get some exposure to someone who is a first round caliber player for this draft class. Yeah.
2: So I have the one Oh two in a league that I'm in and I've been offered carry on Johnson in a mixture of picks for that pick. But with the ceiling that I feel like these running backs have, and even those two receivers, I have like no interest in letting go of this 102 for a player of on Johnson. Is there a good example that you can think of of a player that is a caliber where if you could maybe get that player and the other team's second round pick next season, you'd be consider, you would consider making a move? I know that's kind of an open-ended question.
1: Okay, well let's talk about on Johnson.
2: Yep. Because
1: he entered as twenty like as a twenty one year old rookie. Um he's had like decent production, not great production, but you know, like he's going to be a fifth rounder, you know, in that vicinity in 2020 redrafts. Um I don't know. He's probably worth a first rounder. Like, I don't know. That's hard. Because like you have a sense of of who he is, and maybe like you just you don't like him that much. Like I kind of go back and forth on him, but he's like he was a 21 year old rookie who's been you know, like reasonably productive. Now he's 23. Like I still think he has a, a decent chance of being a lead back. I don't know. I I think he's like he's basically I think like a version of some of these running backs who are going to go in the first round, except he's like two years older. So like maybe he's not worth it, but at the same time I think that also kind of puts him like a little bit closer to like the relevancy cutoff or like the relevancy window. Like you're going to know with Carry On Johnson pretty quickly uh whether he's useful to you or not. Whereas like with some of these other guys you're gonna draft in round one, like you might need to wait three years before you actually find out if they're useful or not.
2: Yeah, I think it's certainly hard to make that distinction at this point before we know the landing spots for these players. Because I do think that with what we've seen from On Johnson, he has shown that he definitely can play in the NFL. I think he is a good running back. The potential is probably there for him to reach a ceiling a little bit higher than he's shown us at this point. But I also think on the opposite side of the coin, Swift or Taylor or even a couple of these other backs could really be transcendent so i'm not ready before i know the landing spots for these players to make a move like that which obviously is going to be one of those things that makes achieving a trade before we actually get combine results and draft results a little bit hard to actually happen
1: yeah i'm so i'm looking like right now carry on johnson at fantasy pros uh ppr dynasty rankings and so you know like the, the, I feel like it's at least an accurate representation of what, um, like is a decently smart ADP or, uh, ranking. Yep. He's number 39 right now in Dynasty. Like, that's probably worth someone who's going in the first round.
2: Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I, 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 I wouldn't disagree with you there. Um, so perhaps then what it needs to be is a package that, um, Works when you add in like all of the extra picks, because a lot of what I've been offered at this point have been Johnson for my first rounder and then like a second round of uh from me next year, and a couple other pieces that don't make sense. But at the base of this trade, you think a player like carry on at this point could be considered um in a deal for a first rounder, which I think is probably fair of you to say,
1: yeah, like I think if you got carry on plus something. That's probably worth taking the trade. You know, if it's like a 2021 second rounder,
2: I think it's probably worth it. Okay. All right. Well, you know what, Matt? I will internalize that advice. I am probably not going to take it. Uh, But perhaps there's some listeners out there who will uh, think twice now about uh, any deals they get involving carry on. So let's pick up where we left off. Last episode, uh, we made it through round six, looking at FFPC best ball ADP for 2020. Quick reminder to everybody that FFPC leagues do have tight end premium scoring, (coughs) so that impacts the ADP a little bit. So round seven is going Terry McLaurin, Tyler Boyd, Cam Akers, Michael Gallup, Noah Fant, Russell Wilson, Julian Edelman. Dak Prescott, Jarvis Landry, T.Y. Hilton, Dallas Goddard, and James White. Let's start off right off the top with Terry McLaurin, a player that had an extremely surprising, tremendous start to his NFL career, did kind of taper off, is playing in Washington. Various quarterbacks sifting through that offense last year. I think a team where there's still a lot of things up in the air how do you feel about him sleeting in at wide receiver 27? Uh, I love Terry
1: McLaurin uh, as a number 27 wide receiver. He yep. was like the number, I mean, he, he was around that last year, like number 24-ish, uh, if I'm just looking at, I mean, it wasn't PPR, but like, I, I don't know. Like, I think he was in that journal vicinity last year. Yeah, he finished
2: 30 in PPR per game, um, really slowing down in the, um, in the second half. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I like it. He's going to be better this year. I mean, one would assume, um, you know, he played in only 14 games. So assume maybe he plays in 14 and a half or 15 games. Uh, Assume he sees more targets than the 93 he saw last year. Um, You know, assume he's a little more efficient at, you know, turning targets into yards. He had 919 yards last year. Like he could have a thousand this year, you know, anywhere from like five to Nine touchdowns, maybe, but like five to eight is more reasonable. Like, I like him. Like, I, and I think he has, I think he has the potential, like, for much more than that as well. You know, like, he could explode. He could be a top 10 wide receiver by the end of the season.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely possible. I wouldn't be expecting it, but the broader thing to pay attention to here is if you go to the Rotovist screener and you look for rookie receivers the stat line that McLaurin produced, and it I don't think it matters the chunks in which he produced it, put him with very solid company. I mean, these are numbers for receivers, especially on a team like Washington, that you just don't normally see in their first season. So to me The expectation, I think, is fair that he's likely going to build on what he did in his rookie season. Uh, That's a spot where I'm perfectly comfortable taking that risk, because I think if he fails to meet his ADP, it's probably not going to be that far off. And the potential certainly is pretty significant. So though some people might be surprised to see him popping up in the seventh round, I personally am not. Now, if you contrast him with Tyler Boyd, who's going at wide receiver 28, Who do you think is the safer pick there, though? Is it Boyd? Because, you know, on one hand, he's a player we've seen do it. But now we have a radically different situation, likely in Cincinnati, bringing in the rookie quarterback second year with that new coaching staff. Maybe AJ Green is gone. There are some questions.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm not the right person to talk about Tyler Boyd. Like, in theory, I in theory, he's probably the safer play. Um, but like, I just, I can't get behind it. Like, I don't think he's that good of a player. And I know I'm saying this about a guy it's, it's very like Keenan Allen esque. I'm saying this about a guy who just had a thousand receiving yards and back to back years and his average six touchdowns, you know, over that time. So like, in theory, that's good, but like, I don't know. He had 148 targets last year. Like, like it's not, it's not a great thing to turn that into, you know, a thousand yards that's like in five touchdowns. I like, I understand his quarterback situation wasn't good, but I just don't like him as a player. Like, I, I don't think that Boyd actually has the upside of being a, like a top, a top 10 top five receiver. Like McLaurin clearly does. Boyd might have a higher floor, but like in round seven, I don't care. Like I'd rather have McLaurin.
2: Yeah, that's fair. Um, to put a little context around last season too. Boyd ranks 7th in overall targets, 8 in recs, um, 22 in receiving yards, 38 in total touchdowns. Uh, the key takeaway here, though, is in comparison to his 11th rank in expected uh, points per game, very inefficient finishing at 181. In 2018, he'd been at number 10 among wide receivers in expected points per game. As we mentioned a lot, those aren't things that necessarily carry from year to year, but I think that does speak to your point about volume being a very significant component of his game um so until we see what happens with AJ Green it's a, it's kind of hard to opine on what to expect from Tyler Boyd quickly though do you think that AJ Green does return to Cincinnati
1: I I don't think so but it's really too hard to say but
2: I I would doubt it yeah okay um the there's actually I'm kind of interested by all of the wide receivers in this grouping. Um, yeah, Michael Gallup and Julian Edelman are the next two wide receivers. How concerned are you about Julian Edelman? And then in regards to Michael Gallup, you do you think that you can make a case that he actually should be around earlier, where you have players like Devontae Parker and Adam Thielen? Uh,
1: okay. So let's start with <clears throat> let's start with Edelman. Yeah. Uh. I'm not really concerned with him. He okay. played 16 games. I think Brady's going to be back. Edelman had uh, 153 targets, and like it's it's funny because like it is kind of similar to Tyler Boyd, just in terms of like the the targets, um, the receptions, the yardage, and the touchdowns. I think the difference is that um, like Boyd is a guy that that I don't think his team actually wants him to be the number one receiver. You know, like, I think they would like to have someone else to throw the ball to. Whereas, like, with Edelman, like, it seems like they're totally fine with him being the guy that they throw the ball to, you know, 15 times per game or something like that. Uh, You know, that's just kind of something that's like a de facto part of the Patriots offense. Um, So, I like Edelman a little bit more, and I know he's going to be 34, but he didn't really show like signs of slowing down last year. Like he had 7.3 yards per target. That's like very much in keeping with what he's done throughout his career. Like his career average is 7.2. So, you know, maybe he starts to slow down at some point, but um, you know, if we didn't see it last year, like the odds, I think aren't particularly great that we see it this year.
2: So I like him. Yeah. Um. Before we get your take on Gallup, I'll just chime in with, I completely agree with what you said. And honestly, let's say even he had, like if he has a deterioration of, of 10% of the athletic ability or however you want to uh, qualify it from last season, still was third in targets. He was nine in PPR per game, four in expected points per game. Like you've said, we have no reason to think that this team is going to start to look away from Edelman and the role that he plays for them. Even if he does lose half a step, he probably can still do very close to what he's been doing now for a very long time. So I'm not super concerned, especially with a seventh round ADP and it's really close to the end of the seventh round. So you are looking at a player that could very realistically end up finishing inside the top 12 has done it in the past as recently as last season. And you're getting him for a pretty cheap price tag when you consider all of that. Um, So those are my thoughts on Edelman, but where are you on Gallup?
1: I like Gallup a lot. If you wanted to reach for him in round six, I wouldn't hate it. Like uh, I think he could easily go above Debo uh DJ Shark, Tyler Lockett. I don't know. I mean Adam Thielen, Robert Woods. <laughs> I, I mean, I like him a lot. Um, we saw him as the number two receiver, um, you know, in just his second year. He had really good production. I don't know like how much he, you know, like benefited from having Amari Cooper opposite him. Um, you know, in theory, getting more of the defensive attention. But um even if he did benefit from that, he'll get more targets next year, you know? So he had 113 in 14 games uh, in 2019. You now let's say he plays 14 and a half or 15 games. I think he gets more targets per game, even if he's slightly less efficient. He had 9.8 yards per target last year. I still think he ends up having more yards overall and
2: probably more touchdowns. Fair enough. Now, it seems that uh, the Cowboys and Dak Prescott have yet to work things out. Are you operating under the assumption that the team does make it work and Dak returns? I have to figure that they don't They don't make that mistake and let him go. Yeah, 100%. Okay. I, I
1: think he's staying. I okay. mean, one way or another, he's getting franchised, whatever it is,
2: he's staying. And um, while we're on the Cowboys, any other big changes that you foresee the team making?
1: Not really. I mean, it is very possible that uh, Amari Cooper has gone. Yeah. You know, but um, I don't know. I, I think there's a decent chance he returns, too. OK,
2: I, don't, I honestly don't know if that really even matters that much for Gallup. OK, yeah, I think that's that's kind of the interesting piece. So you think that um, he's good enough of a player that he's kind of a standalone asset at this point?
1: Yeah, I think so.
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. OK, I like it. All right, let's talk about the first tight end going in round seven. That's Noah Fant at tight end 11. Pretty encouraging rookie season for Fant, I think, all things considered. How do you feel about Fant in this range? Now, of course, we're going to focus not so much on that it's round seven, but that he's going as a starting tight end based on his ADP. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Like Fant has upside. Like there's, there's no question about that. But I don't know if he has significantly more upside than like Jonu Smith at tight end 15. Yeah. Uh, like assuming like Delaney Walker is pretty much done. Um, you know, I think Jonu has, has capability there. And then OJ Howard after, you know, like, okay. So <coughs> sorry. Yeah. Tight end 15. You have Johnu tied in 16, Ian Thomas tied in 17, OJ Howard. Titan 18, David Unjoku. Like, is there really much of a difference, like, between Noah Fant and any of those guys who are available, like, three to, like, seven players later? I don't, I don't think I don't so. think so.
2: I think you could make a case that perhaps he's more talented than a couple of those guys, but if you consider the situation that they're in, I really don't see many factors separating him from those players. Yeah, I mean he was a first rounder.
1: They were all first rounders like for the most. Part. Well, I mean, Thomas wasn't, but yeah. like in joke, was Howard was like Thomas and Smith. Like they're both talented. Um <coughs> Fant might be, I think still like further away from like the realistic production window for a tight end. Whereas like all of those guys, like they're in that realistic production window, you know, like they could have yeah. that um, like that Austin Hooper type of season where like they kind of come out of nowhere and
2: produce as like top three, top four tight ends. The tight end position is just so frustrating because you just keep waiting on these guys and you just feel like that potential is there. And given the time it takes them to develop, you just never know if it's time to move on. I'm still holding out hope that in and Howard can realize that potential that's there for them. Um, but you start to worry after a point in time. Now, OJ Howard You would have thought that playing in Tampa Bay last season would have been the perfect situation for him. Unfortunately, that did not manifest. I know that we're not at round 10 yet where he is going, but he's, to me, one of the most curious players. I'm assuming you have not given up entirely on OJ Howard yet.
1: No, I mean, look at someone like Jared Cook. Like, it took him, like, darn near a decade to be relevant. Like, like these guys... Like, they linger. Like, they have windows of viability that uh, are pretty long.
2: So, no. Like, I'm not giving up on O.J. Howard yet. Okay. That's what I like to hear. Popping back, though, to the round that we are looking at, um, Jarvis Landry, another receiver that I have to bring up here. It's interesting to see people feeling good enough about Odell Beckham to draft him third when Jarvis Landry, who actually had a better season has managed to season in and season out, just eek by, just compile points, is going at wide receiver 31. Is that too low for Landry? Is he a steal in round seven? Yeah, I mean,
1: you... you know with Landry that he's, like, not likely to be a top five uh, a top five guy, like a top 12 guy, but yep. he has a pretty reasonable chance of being a wide receiver too. Like, I would much rather have Landry than Boyd because, like, I feel like Boyd, I don't know. There's just something that feels kind of, like, fluky about his production and then his volume last year, whereas, like, Landry, like, He gets his production within like the normal course of how his offense just flows, you know, like year in, year out. He's a really solid bet for, you know, anywhere from like a thousand yards to like 1,150 and anywhere from like four to eight touchdowns. Like you just, you know, that is what he's going to give you like with Boyd I don't think it's as certain so I would rather I would rather have Landry over Boyd or you know like if you could like trade down a little bit or whatever but uh yeah I think Landry is a value in this range if you're looking for consistency like I still prefer upside but uh I mean I think Landry has a pretty good chance of outperforming his ADP
2: yeah I think that he's a player if you see him going here in redraft leagues especially it's a very attractive pick because the likelihood that he at least finishes at wide receiver 31 or outplays it by maybe 10, 9 positional ranks at the end of the season are pretty high. Final players that I want to talk about before we close out this portion of our episodes this week are James White, who is going at the end of round 7 as RB34, followed by Sony Michel a couple picks later at RB thirty seven in round eight. You surprised to still see still see James White hanging out in round seven? No. Um I mean I think it's probably like the appropriate place
1: for him to come off the board. Um, you know, because he does have He does have potential of getting more targets, uh, you know, like if one of the backs, uh, ahead of him fails, uh, you know, he could also get more carries, but like, he's, you know, locked in for, I'd say like a target floor of, you know, like 80 and it could climb up to like a hundred, 120, maybe in extreme circumstances. Um, you know, in theory, he's in a good offense if Tom Brady returns and, you know, like if they get a little more offensive help, he had 900 yards last year, like. That's not horrible, you know, like, especially with all of the receptions that he gets, you know, like, he's not a huge touchdown scorer, but, you know, anywhere from like four to eight seems reasonable. And with all the receptions he
2: gets, like, yeah, he's reasonable. The other interesting thing too about White is he actually finished as an RB2 67% of the time. So we only saw mm, one game yeah. from him above 20 points last season, so it would be easy to assume if you were not paying attention to the Patriots that James White did not do much, but the moral of the story is if you had him on your team and you put him in your lineup, he never really like lost a week for you. He might not have won it, but he was certainly usable every single week the same cannot be said for sony michelle so where are you on him um (laughs) i'm pretty down on
1: him Yeah, i mean that's not a surprise that's kind of like my brand but you know he's not used in the receiving game which uh, is a huge knock against him you know so yeah he had um he had a thousand barely a thousand rushing yards last year like he basically looked like ben jarvis green ellis like back in the day like that's what he was like three point seven yards per carry, like great. He had barely a thousand yards and he had seven touchdowns. Like that is almost exactly a Ben Jarvis Green Ellis season.
2: Yeah, honestly, if Brandon Bolden had been inserted into the game every time that James White was used, I don't think we see a very different outcome. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's right. I mean, <laughs> which Brandon is just Bolden, such an indictment. <laughs> yeah. On everything yeah. Sony Michel here. I mean, I do think he's probably a better player than Brandon Bolden, especially at this point in Bolden's career. But the point kind of is, is this. There's nothing that's differentiating Sony Michel from any of these other Patriots backs that we've seen absent of LeGarrette Blount the past maybe 10, 12 years because Blount actually managed to be such a superb touchdown scorer that he actually elevated his status from what we normally see from the Patriots um, back that handles more of the rushing attempts. So I just don't think that there's a reason to expect that you're going to get more from Michelle than that handful of those, those super awesome games. And you're going to have more than, or maybe at best a quarter of the time where he's an RB one or RB two. And the rest of the time, if you try to trot him out, he's very simply going to be a player that is really replaceable you know so i i have a lot of concerns about sony and if the team is forced to pass which we don't know exactly how this patriots team is going to operate you could even see his numbers from last year come down so like you i'm pretty worried about sony yeah i mean i I think that's fair And honestly, it was insulting to say
1: that it was a Ben Jarvis-Green-Ellis season. It uh, wasn't as good as Ben (laughs) Jarvis-Green-Ellis.
2: Is that true? Did you look up some numbers while I was talking? Yeah,
1: I went and looked. Uh, uh, Ben Jarvis-Green-Ellis in 2010 uh, had just over 1,000 yards rushing, but he was more efficient and he had 13 touchdowns. Wow.
2: Yeah, that's quite a disparity there. So uh, the one thing I'm hoping, too, is that... uh, some of these books out there have another season where they're expecting Sony Michelle to get over a thousand yards or that's where the over under set. Cause I will aggressively be taking the under again. Yeah. Uh, probably <laughs> I will probably be there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well that does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Dave and at Matt F the Oracle Thanks to Bet Online for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember it's not a fantasy if you believe it.